Hello and welcome. My name is Joanna Junak and this is GFN News on GFN.tv. In today's program, Dr. John Oyson tells us why he thinks Canadian smokers need a medically licensed vaping products. Will Godfrey of Filter is with us to discuss an innovative UK program for pregnant smokers. We will bring you the next part of our new series GFN Voices. And after the news, Brent Stafford of Recward interviews Federico Fernandez, Executive Director at Somos Innovacion and CEO at We Are Innovation. E-cigarettes with or without nicotine have been legal in Canada since 2018. Studies show that many smokers are using e-cigarettes as a way to stop smoking. Joining us today is Dr. John Oyston, Canadian anesthesiologist. We ask John a few questions. Thank you, John, for joining us. Can you tell us what the situation is with vaping in Canada at the moment? Okay, thank you for the question. Uh, unfortunately, it's a very sad situation because a lot of things are up in limbo at the moment. So in May 2018, Canada had a good start. They had a Tobacco and Vaping Products Act that made nicotine vaping legal. It set some sensible restrictions in terms of age limits and stuff like that. Um, and it seemed that Health Canada understood that vaping was perhaps a risk to teenagers, but it was also a potential way to get people off cigarette smoking. So that all started fairly well. But one of the early problems was they had a gag law. They said that people who ran vape shops and sell vape aren't allowed to make health claims about vaping. And they were going to get around that by setting up an, an agreed series of statements that people were allowed to make. Um, but those have never materialized. So at the moment, if you run a vape shop, you're not allowed to say that vaping is safer than cigarette smoking. You're not allowed to say that vaping is a way that, um, as a safe alternative to smoking or a way to quit smoking. And then what happened is with the legalization, companies like Juul came in and they advertised a lot and teens took it up as a recreational thing. And that created a lot of alarm and everybody wanted to you know, save the children and all that stuff, which is understandable. Uh, but in that, the whole idea that vaping was also a way to stop smoking seems to have disappeared. So the whole emphasis of Health Canada now is on preventing teen vaping. And what they're doing is a whole pile of things that make vaping unattractive, uh, both to teenagers, but also to adult smokers. So they've already set up a nicotine uh, limit of 20 milligrams, which is the same as the EU, but it's relatively low and it used to be 60. And for a smoker who's a heavy smoker, they really need that extra amount of nicotine for vaping to work for them. Um, then they were going to work on flavor bans. They felt that flavors were a real reason why kids like vaping and they didn't seem to realize that flavored vape actually helps adult cigarette smokers get off cigarette smoking. Uh, and they proceeded a certain stage along that legislation, but they were making some fairly ridiculous mistakes. And they seem to have abandoned that at the federal level. Uh, although two provinces, uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick now have a flavor ban. And what they're working on now is an extra taxation. They're working on uh, a taxation for vape that will be above and beyond other consumer products. So it's really sad because for vaping to work as a way to quit smoking, it has to be affordable, it has to be effective, and it has to be enjoyable. And Health Canada is attacking all three of those uh, with taxes to make it unaffordable, with flavor bans to make it not enjoyable, 
and nicotine limits to make it less effective. So the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act is up for review at the moment, but in the documents that they're releasing about it, they really only care about the parts of the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act aimed at preventing youth vaping, and they don't seem concerned at all about the aspect of adult smokers. On your blog, you mentioned that smokers need a medically licensed vape as an aid to smoking cessation. Can you tell us why regulation of these products is so important for Canadian vapors? Certainly, and I think it's all important, not only important for Canadian vapors, but for vapors around the world. So first of all, I've got no problem with the consumer model for vaping. Okay, I think it's perfectly reasonable that people who want to use nicotine should be able to buy nicotine um, you know, downtown or in the mall or online in whatever form they like, whether that's uh, as cigarettes, as whether it's as vape, whether it's as uh, oral products. Um, but at the moment, as I said, the vape shops aren't able to say that vaping is a way to quit smoking or that it's a safe alternative to smoking. If there was a medically licensed vape that was actually authorized for use as a smoking cessation aid, then that would change the rules. It would allow vape shops to say, okay, this is a brand that is approved by Health Canada. It, we can tell you that this is a smoking cessation aid. Um, so it would help them. Also, while I think the majority of people who are looking at vaping as a way to quit smoking don't want to go a medical model, they don't feel that they're sick, they want us to go to uh, a store downtown and buy a, a, an alternative product, cigarettes, there are some people who would prefer a medical model. They uh, would be more comfortable buying from a physician or a pharmacy than they would be buying from a high street store. Um, they are maybe have been advised to quit smoking by a, a doctor or a healthcare worker. And so they want to stick within a, a medical model. But at the moment, if you go to a physician, a nurse, a hospital, a stop smoking clinic in Canada, they will not recommend vaping to you because it's not been authorized, it's not been licensed. Uh, and the amount of ignorance amongst Canadian healthcare workers about vaping is appalling. So uh, Health Canada did an official survey. 39% uh, of family doctors in Canada think that nicotine vaping is as bad as smoking. 77% of healthcare practitioners don't think that switching from smoking to vaping counts as quitting smoking. And only 6% of them would recommend vaping as a way to quit smoking. So that needs to change because we have the evidence that vaping is you know, a safe and effective way to quit cigarette smoking and physicians should be incorporating that into their practice. But because at the moment there isn't a medically licensed product, there isn't something that can be prescribed, there isn't something that can be sold in pharmacies, there isn't something that can be uh, covered by provincial or private health insurance plans, it's very difficult to get physicians to recommend vaping as a way to quit smoking. And I think if there was at least one medically licensed product, it would do several things. It would bring it into the physician area of expertise. It would be amongst the things that physicians would be comfortable prescribing. Uh, it would make it covered by insurance plans. It would make it sell to pharmacies, which at the moment don't want to sell vaping products because they consider themselves tobacco products. Um, and the other thing is it would be important for research. It's very difficult at the moment in Canada to do research on vaping because you have to get ethical approval and to get ethical approval for someone to uh, inhale chemicals from uh, something that's made in China and sold downtown in a regular store, that's difficult. Whereas if there was a medically approved vape, it would be much easier to get ethical approval and to do research.
If the government introduced licensed vaping products and gave people reliable information, do you think this would encourage more smokers to switch? Yeah, I, I, I sincerely hope so. Um, at the moment, uh, cigarette smoking in Canada is declining very slowly, and it's declining mostly uh, because cigarette smokers are dying, which is a very sad way for that to happen. Um, but Canada actually has a plan that was supposed to have a smoking rate of 5% by 2035. And although we have that as a goal, we don't actually have a mechanism to achieve it. And so I think something needs to change so that we can actually get more people to quit smoking. And at the moment, neither the consumer part of vaping or, or the medical part of vaping is actually working well in Canada. And this could all be changed by a change in regulations. And part of the change in regulations uh, would be to have a vape that was approved and medically licensed. And what about misinformation around the health impacts of vaping? Do you see it in Canada? Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and, and to a, a tremendous extent. The, the mainstream media in Canada, uh, by which I mean the CBC, the broadcast television, and the Globe and Mail, which is our sort of establishment newspaper, are both very much against vaping. And their reporting on vaping is always about youth. It's about kids who are smoking and vaping and maybe going from vaping to cigarette smoking. Um, they never cover the idea that you know, there are elderly people who are switching uh, from smoking to vaping. They never talk about vaping as a way to save lives. They never talk about vaping as um, a way to help people. And I can kind of understand that in a way because they've had all this, um, it's much easier to whip up hysteria about something that's harming kids than it is about something that's benefiting adults. And unfortunately, the medical organizations have gone along with this. And so groups like Physicians for a Smoke-Free Canada um, are very much against vaping. And so the, the information that's coming to physicians from their professional societies is that vaping is, is a risk and it's not something they should be encouraged. So somehow we have to do an enormous amount of work to encourage physicians to take a second look at vaping, to realize that cigarette smoking is the real thing that's killing people, Health Canada, for example, says that nobody has died from vaping in Canada. Um, and I don't think physicians realize that. I think they see American horror stories about things like Uvalde, which had nothing to do with legal vaping. And that's what they see, and that's what they think of when they, when they talk about vaping. Thank you, John. Now let's turn to Will Godfrey to find out about a new program launching in England to reduce smoking during pregnancy. Will, please tell us more. Hi, Joanna. Yes, the program caught our eye at Filter, partly because it's an example of contingency management, uh, an evidence-based intervention that gives participants payments or rewards as an incentive to quit or reduce their drug use. The model is better known, including in the United States, for its use around banned drugs such as methamphetamine. So it's notable to see it transferred to smoking and specifically here to smoking during pregnancy, which, as we know, is linked to various harms to parent and child. Where is the program happening and what exactly will it do? It's being launched as a pilot this autumn by East Cheshire Council in Northwest England. It'll pay vouchers worth up to £400 to participants who stop smoking during their pregnancy, up to 300 people depending on how fast funds stretch. As we know, UK smoking rates have been declining amid a fairly pro-vaping landscape, but there are severe disparities by income, demographics and region. East Cheshire has a higher than average smoking rate and about 10% of pregnant residents there continue to smoke. 
The programme will also offer incentives worth up to £200 to other members of participants' households who quit. If participants switch from smoking to vaping, will they still be rewarded? Yes, they will, as Dr Matt Tyra, Director of Public Health at Cheshire East Council, confirmed to Filter's reporter on this story, Kieran Sidhu. That's an important factor and it's an improvement on contingency management programmes that reward only abstinence. Have there been any criticism of this plan? Yes, several. Uh, the cost is one element, around £116,000 will be set aside to fund it. However, Dr Tyra estimated that the resulting healthcare savings could reach 450000 Other objections raised by council members included resentment that people would be paid to stop doing something that they do voluntarily, although people who study social determinants of health would dispute that framing. And concerns over people dishonestly seeking the rewards will be addressed, Dr Tyra said, by carbon monoxide testing to determine people's smoking status. There are ethical questions too about contingency management itself and its application here to a predominantly disadvantaged pregnant population. Dr Marilou Gagnon, a researcher who has studied this area, flagged the tensions around targeting people who, quote, are not in a position to decline a financial incentive because of their socioeconomic situation. On the other hand, a representative of the New York-based organization National Advocates for Pregnant Women, which has documented the harms of punitive drug policies, told Kieran that our organization would certainly support any policy that seeks to incentivize healthcare through awards and encouragement. It'll be fascinating to learn the results of this pilot once it's been conducted. Thank you, Will. In the last episode, we introduced the first part of our new series GFN Voices, capturing the views and opinions of people who attended the Global Forum on Nicotine in Warsaw this June. Let's hear from more GFN Voices today. In many places all around the world, Canada, the US, um, especially Canada, because that's where I'm from. I mean, there's a lot of people who accept harm reduction when it comes to drugs, right? Yes. Whether they're in Health Canada or in their local public health units or whatever. But then when it comes to tobacco harm reduction, they're, they're adamantly opposed to it. Well, the thing is, this is the first time today I've heard about this situation that tobacco harm reduction is not accepted even by people who worked in drug harm reduction. So to me, this was new information. And to be honest, I don't really understand why, because to me, it makes all sense. And having a lot of people around me who have been smokers, but had to quit for whatever reasons. And a few years ago, no one knew about, you know, vaping or snooze is the first time I hear about this today <laughs> and how it helped in Sweden. So I think this information has to be out there and to just, you know, put it as available as possible on the market, as you would say, and then just, you know, see if it works because you have to talk with the policy advisors and opinion makers and the people who make the difference for the legislation. Let me see if I can get a comment from you about Health Canada because the reputation that Canada's had for many decades actually has yes. been on the forefront of harm, you know, maybe not harm reduction, but certainly getting people to quit smoking. Yes. 
they've taken a real drastic turn, have they not, when it comes to vaping? Well, this is the, the, the well, what's bizarre, it's not only in Canada, but it's elsewhere, you know, support for certain kinds of harm reduction, you know, long battles, but drugs harm reduction, well accepted. Vaping, you know, you, you make moves in the right direction and then you bring in regulations and, you know, you start to ban aspects of it, which, you know, you end up with a regulated market, but a, a regulated market which actually makes unavailable certain desirable products, you know, so sort of the availability of flavours and so on, which is so central to this. And now we go over to Brent Stafford and his guest Federico Fernandez. Executive Director at Somos Innovacion and CEO at Ria Innovation. In today's interview, Federico talks tobacco harm reduction in Latin America and argues for innovation over prohibition. Over to your brand. Hi everybody, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to another edition of Red Watch on GFN.TV. We're of course here in Warsaw, Poland for the Global Forum on Nicotine, GFN 22, and I'm here with Federico Fernandez, who is the executive director of the Latin American network, Somos Innovacion. Perfect. Wow, that's great. So for our viewers, tell, tell us you know, about yourself and the organization. Yeah, happily, Brent. Well, firstly, thank you. I'm very happy to be talking with you and, and, and you know, with, you, with your audience. Um, we, Somos Innovacion is a, is a network of more than 30 think tanks, originally born in, in Latin America. Now also we're trying to, to spread to Europe for different reasons, particularly, of course, the, the historical reasons, you know, historical relationship between Spain, Portugal, and Latin America, but also because there are, we believe there are topics that coincide, there are mutual influence that could be, uh, you know, used for, 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 uh, for good. So we're, we're trying to expand to Europe as well. But originally we, we are from Latin America. Most of the NGOs, foundations, think tanks that are part of the network are from Latin America. And Somos, Somos Innovacion means we are innovation. And what we want to do, what we want to do as our name uh, claims is to defend innovation and human creativity. And that's interesting. So is it, I mean, is it is a pro-commercial kind of a, a position? Is that it? No, 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 no. It's um, uh, most most of our members, including the Fundación Internacional Bases, which is my think tank. We we are basically civil societies organizations. We most of us are related to an open economy, free markets, the rule of law, and those are the, are the values we we want to promote. And we believe that most of them are totally in contact with uh, innovation, and we want, particularly Latin America, to be, be uh, to become fertile ground for innovation. Well, I saw the connection in some of the research that it, there is a a basis of the Austrian school of economics. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very much, at, at least in Fundación Bases, we're very much influenced by the Austrian school. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. I mean, Ludwig von Mises, and of course Hayek as well. We don't get a lot of actual discussion. I mean, in the U.S., that would be considered more libertarian, I would think. Yeah, from the Latin Americans' perspective, let's say uh, that's an interesting uh, debate. The thing is, you know, in what what's missing in in many countries in Latin America, let's say, is like the conservative part. The, the, the political spectrum has, has, has turned a lot to the left. 
So being classical, you know, the, 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 the Austrian School of Economics is, is totally classical liberal there because it's like that part missing that, you know, you would, you would oh, I don't know, from social democrat then to conservative and then to like libertarian and well, that part in some countries is, is not present anymore. So turning to tobacco harm reduction, because it does kind of suffer from not having enough of that perspective, I think, involved in the debate. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, it's, you know, it, Latin America, it's unfortunately a region in which all these innovative solutions to smoking, which probably are the ones that, that have put us the closest to solve the issue of smoking. As you can imagine, we don't have a prohibitionist view about, you know, uh, smoking tobacco in, in, uh, at all, but, I mean, Everybody acknowledges that it's an issue and, you know, thank God and thanks to innovation, we have now a lot of good alternatives that can literally save millions and millions of lives. And in Latin America, with a couple of, of uh, very honorable <laughs> exceptions, the situation is quite bad. Of, of course, this product, these products exist, they are available, but at best in the gray market, usually in the black market, without any, any controls that you know actually what you're buying and who's your seller. So there's a lot to improve. So when it comes to e-cigarettes, say for nicotine products, do you vape? Or, no. Right, so that's, and that's interesting because, so your organizations are interested in this issue, correct me if I'm wrong, because it fits so squarely uh, in that more classical liberal space. Because of that, definitely, of course, we believe in, in personal responsibility, but we also, let's say, when we launched the network two and a half years ago, as you know, uh, innovation is a very vast camp. And we tried to, and, and we, we see innovation basically as, you know, as a way in which civil society, individuals, you know, as citizens, we get involved in problem solving. That's really the, the, how we see innovation and that's why we wanted to see, to see it thrive. And w we tried to pick when we started, let's say we're we quite open. If you see, we do a lot of activities. We publish a lot of papers and articles on, on completely different topics. We are, let's say, we are not a pro-harm reduction organization. We do a lot of other things. But particularly when we started, we tried to pick issues that were not only innovative, but also had a very profound human impact and that really changed people, people's lives. That's why when we started, most of our work was focused, for instance, on the sharing economy and how many people can get you know, work opportunities thanks to that, particularly immigrants, young people who for the, in many countries it's very difficult for them to start in the, in, the, in the job market. We also are very much concerned about everything that has to do with fintech technology. Why? Because in Latin America, 40% of adults are still unbanked. Mm. And this is also why we are so uh, much involved in everything that has to do with tobacco harm reduction, because we feel that vaping, uh, heated tobacco, uh, the nicotine pouches are really the best ways to solve the issue of, of smoking, which is definitely a problem. Let's compare safer nicotine products as a, as a source of innovation compared to these other examples. Which one's easier to sell? Ha, that's a good question. 
all you know it's a that, that's let's say is extremely encouraging and also a little bit sad you know depending how you how you see it uh, by the end of 2019 you know our idea was that the network was basically born in the second half of 2019 and our idea was to do a big launch across the region because really we have partners and, and members you know in, in, in basically every country in Latin America so we picked a couple, you know, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, and we wanted to do events, launching the network, let know people that, you know, we have partners here, members that, you know, are going to do this, all this pro-innovation work. Well, of course, 2020, nothing could, could, could happen as we wanted. But in order to, uh, for, for, that, uh, for that launch, we commissioned a, a survey, uh, an opinion poll, which probably is the first of its kind uh, done in Latin America, as far as we know it is, and we're happy to be corrected, but as far as we know it is. And we, uh, it was done by a professional company, and we asked uh, citizens in, in these five countries, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, and Mexico, what do they, th what they think about innovation. It's not that we were, uh, and, and what impact has in their lives. It's not that we were, uh, we were looking for what's the most innovative country, what's the one with uh, most startups. No, what the population of these countries think. And the results were amazing. And I think, you know, from since we did this in 2019 until now, probably if we run it again, it, it, they would even improve. People don't want to, I mean, they value innovation, they understand that it does a lot for their well-being, material and also or even spiritually. Um, they don't, nobody is, there is no claim for a prohibitionist wave, wave in, of any kind in Latin America. On the contrary, the results were very similar in each country, which really tells you that the, 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 the civil society of, of Latin America wants to go in a, in a, in, in a certain direction, which I think, I think it's, it's very good. That has not been reflected yet, unfortunately, in, in some of the, uh, of the members of the political class. I think that is going to, ch I think that is changing. So there's resistance to accepting safer nicotine products as innovation. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not from the people, from the, controlling bodies, and the same happens with the sharing economy. With the, it's very funny, during the, 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 the first trimester of, of 2020, many of the most, I don't want to men mention them, but many of the most famous companies of what we would call sharing economy or gig economy were being literally demonized in many countries in Latin America. And of course, then the pandemic hit and they basically save our lives because, you know, they allowed, you know, many people to continue working, many people to get goods, you know, and, 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 and things provided to their homes. So there's, there's this tension. Uh, so all, all, you know, all these things have, uh, for instance, in my country, in Argentina, today there's a big uh, push by the government in order to basically destroy the business model of, of low-cost airlines, which, is, which basically means putting them, you know, uh, minimum prices, and if you cannot compete by price, you know, and you're a low cost, it's very difficult to mm -hmm. compete at all. But that is not something that is coming from the civil society, and one of the things we, we are trying to do, and, and I think we have had quite uh, some successes already, is to try to let people who are in, in decision-making uh, positions to know that it's not what our civil societies are demanding. And, you know, you probably you're going to make a mistake in your in your political career if you become the the um, 
the candidate of the status quo, you should be the candidate of the future. There's a lot of demand for that. What's the reputation for nicotine vaping products in your regions? It's growing. Uh, there are a lot of cases because you know one of the I, I think one of let's say biggest sales points you know for 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 uh, safer nicotine products is, is are the stories of the people who used to smoke 60 cigarettes per day that tried every other thing in the book you know in order to to quit and they couldn't and they started for instance vaping and one week after that, they never touch a cigarette again, forever. And, and, and those stories are all the time. But, of course, on the other hand, you have sometimes media. And I, please, I don't want to demonize anything. I'm not saying it in a bad way. But, you know, for instance, with the, this very fake and fabricated crisis that was the so-called Evali and things like that, that. And, of course, since all these products are... The, from the black market and unregulated, sometimes you can have, you know, something that it's not properly produced, but it's, it's not because of vaping, it's not because of, 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 of the issue, it's just because when you buy in the black market, whatever you buy at the black market, it's probably not going to be what you expect. So there are, there are those problems. Uh, the reputation, I think in any case, you know, in, it's, it, it's not absolutely tainted, but there are these issues and, and well, it's something we have to, let's say, try to change. What about nicotine? What's the reputation for nicotine? Yeah, again, I mean, and you, you know, we, we are at the, at the GFN and this is something, the, the problem is, you know, that the traditional cigarettes have a very bad uh, reputation and probably with, you know, very good, good reasons. And sometimes many people, and many people probably in total good faith, you know, just because they, they, they haven't, you know, uh, been properly informed, tend to equate the damages that uh, smoking cigarettes can uh, produce to your body with the substance of nicotine, which, well, it's not the case, but there's, you know, that, that, that issue, it's present in many countries and, and explicitly some, uh, ministries of health and you know so certain health authorities mention nicotine as the reason why they would uh, they would never legalize you know vaping or other alternatives and in the media do they give safer nicotine products a fair shake it's a that, that's a very good question my impression is that four or five years ago the, there were a, there was a much more positive view than the one that it is, the, than the one that we have today. You could, you could find from time to time these kinds of, of stories that we were talking a few minutes ago uh, of, you know, of people that literally smoked, you know, tens, you know, the dozens of cigarettes per day and they couldn't, and, and thanks to vaping they stopped. You could see featured, you know, vape, uh, you know vaping activists. Now, dimensions, uh, let's say, are quite scattered in time. And when they and when they are mentioned, is usually under a, like a bad umbrella, you know. So that's like the opposite of innovation. Innovation is supposed to keep moving forward. We can have uh, discussions and arguments about lots of things and, and debates, and that's very that's very positive and important. But there are very very few reasons that any public administration, any any government, can at the same time have cigarettes being legal 
and safer nicotine products being illegal. You know, there, that, let's say that that is, you know, really, it's absolutely logical and, and, and probably ridiculous. There are clearly certain issues that ha don't, don't have anything to do with, let's say, reason and debate. There are other, uh, uh, clearly other uh, problems and other situations that are making this happening. And well, that is what we're trying to, to fight in, in this case. But it, 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 this is not a rational debate in many occasions. And is that not what's happening in Mexico today? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. In Mex the, the situation in Mexico, I mean, we have to also understand that, and, and I'm trying, let's say, trying to be as polite as possible, Mexico has probably the worst government in the last 50 years and at this time. And let's say, this, unfortunately, these this very destructive attitudes have, you know, happened in many other, in many areas of, of the economy and of Mexican society coming from the government. They had already, I think a year ago or so, forbidden all imports from, you know, safer nicotine uh, products. And now they basically forbid every, any trade, you know, you cannot sell them. It's, they have turned basically, you know, vaping into plutonium. You know, you cannot sell it, you cannot buy it, you cannot import it, export it. It's, it's something like that. To add insult to injury, one of the reasons they, um, they use is that they call vaping as part of a new tobacco product, when we all know that vaping doesn't have tobacco. So that's the kind of reasoning behind these, these measures. This, this, this is really, this is not something well thought, this is not something that it's, it's being done for, a, I don't know, faulty uh, research or something like that. This is really something, it, it looks like something more emotional or, or, or driven, God knows for what, but, but this has nothing to do with the facts or this has nothing to do with reason. And it's certainly going to leave, you know, millions, if not, you know, several millions of, of vapors out in the cold, yeah. you know, in Mexico and elsewhere. It seems very heavy handed what they've done there. How much of an influence overall has the um, scares coming out of the U.S. Uh, driven? Huh. That's, well, you know, whatever happens in the U.S. always has an impact, you know, in, in, in Latin America. And the same as whatever happens in Mexico has an impact in Latin America. So this is, let's say, this is not a good news in, in any way. But definitely, uh, let's, I mean, a valley is a U.S. manufactured <laughs> fake uh, um, disease. And well, it has become in the last uh, year and a half, two years, even though it, it's been completely debunked. And I mean, and, and nothing that it was called a, a valley had to do with vaping per se. It had to do with, you know, using vapors for things that they are not used with uh, liquids they were, who, that were uh, illegal and absolutely adulterated. But anyway, but that still is something that it's mentioned. What about the valley? And what about this lung disease? And what if we allow vaping and this happens? And in Argentina, of course, we have probably today more than a million people, probably more, maybe two million people who vape. They have never suffered of a valley or anything like that, but well, that doesn't count. And you know, four, five, six cases that happened in the US with people doing something completely different than they should, they should have been doing with a, with a vaping device, uh, it's still a very, let's say, powerful argument uh, against uh, safer nicotine products. So it's quite sad.
<laughs> it's a very bad influence. Sorry to say. Totally, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what do you hope to get out of attending the Global Forum on nicotine here? Well, that's a, you know, it's firstly it's a magnificent event. I, I, I came here for the first time in 2019 because you know we were launching Somos Innovacion. This was one of the topics that uh, we were concerned about and uh, it's you know it's a great place to meet people to you know to, to listen to great talks about you know the current issues, the, the challenges, the, also the opportunities, the research uh, about all the all, all, all these topics. And it's really overall an, a magnificent experience. The, the KAC, the, the, the main organizers, do an amazing job. And it's also really great that they have been able, after you know the two years that we were quite hit by the pandemic, to do it again in person. Uh, one thing that I loved from my first experience in 2009 is how, let's say, how global this event is. You have people from every continent, you know, from many countries around the globe. And before this one, I was thinking, hey, maybe, you know, after the pandemic, it's not going to be that easy. And they made it again. There are people from everywhere. You can see that really this is a global movement because there are more than a billion people who smoke. There are a lot of people who currently vape and there are a lot of people who want to improve their lives. And these are really the tools probably for many of them, not most, no, not all maybe, but for many of them to finally quit. And this is really a, a big issue. And this, this is this in the end. Of course, we approach this from from an, an innovative uh, perspective. In the sense, like I was saying at the beginning, we really think this is finally the the problem-solving tool that we needed in order to 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 solve this issue. But this is also a very human uh, issue. If you know, to whoever it's in doubt, even if you, if you smoke or not, or but if you. Are just you just cons you know you just care about these issues just listen to the people who they listen to their stories listen of their struggle listen of how how impossible for them it was to to quit smoking and what vaping and other alternatives made for their lives for their relationship with their families you know not being constantly you know smelling not having your house full of you know ended cigarettes and things like that you know, not, not but being able to climb the stairs again and things like that. Daddy, you know, if, if you cannot empathize with that, you know, maybe you don't have a heart, really. <laughs>